Yes, I remember everything. I know who I am. I am the doctor. I am the doctor. Welcome to episode 3.14 of Pieces of Eighth. The Doctor Who podcast that loves to bring you the truth every week. And this week, it's not hashtag fake news. Ugh. We literally are telling you the truth. We are carrying on in our trip through those sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord, as played by Paul McGann. I'm Kenny Smith, and you'll have noticed by now that I'm all alone this week as we continue on our quest to feature the Eighth Doctor's exploits, whether on screen in books, novellas, full cast, audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, or anything else we can lay our eyes, ears, and hands upon. If you follow my co-host, Rebecca Chapman, on Twitter, she's at Rebecca Geekout, you'll be aware that she was actually given some pretty devastating news this week, and she's not going to be able to be with us for this episode, so Becca... Myself and all the listeners, some of whom actually saw your tweet and got in touch with me and they want me to send you their very best wishes. But yeah, we're all sending your love and we hope that you're going to be back with us next week. And because you said so, we will carry on with this week's episode. And this episode, the 14th in our longest season yet, we're making a trip to one of the Doctor's favourite planets, Peladon which was first introduced in the 1970s in The Curse of Peladon and later in The Monster of Peladon. This story this week, The Truth of Peladon, was released in January this year, bringing us four adventures featuring the Sixth Doctor, Mel, Riversong and King Peladon, as well as a host of ice warriors and everyone's favourite hermaphrodite hexapod, Alpha Centauri. But of course our interest comes from the fourth and final story in the set, The Truth of Peladon, which features the Eighth Doctor. And here's the trailer for the box set. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Peladon. Welcome, my friends, to Peladon, a proud planet where the eyes of the people are set firmly on the future. See the Prophet. See the Divinity. See Skarn, the holy man of Peladon. Another miracle! It's no miracle, Harfair! This promises to make the most interesting report I have written in years. Our mountain speaks to us and has done so for centuries. How lovely! Such a visceral part of Peladon Moor. Uh, Ambassador Ribble, we thought you had gone. Our tourist needs to be sure of all potential threats, Your Majesty. The Temple Acolytes will stay with Solana. Good. I'm not missing my chance to meet Alpha Centauri. So I'm game if you are. That's the spirit. (laughs) Fight to be heard. Just as Agador once roared from the forest that stood on this wasteland. (laughs) (laughs) You will listen! This was woven from the webs of the last grey spider. And now here it shimmers with the last great seamstress poetry. You are in a hurry, aren't you? Always dashing for haberdashery. And the doctor, your new apprentice. I know where you wish me to go. 
I need you to go into the streets below, round up these creatures, find out who's brought them here. Big finish. We love stories. As you've just heard, there's no individual trailer for Truth, but we do, however, have the story blurbs for each individual tale. So, here's some more about this tale, which was written by Tim Foley, and as Becca would do, reading voice at the ready. <coughs> Arla, last of Peladin's great seamstresses, is commissioned to make a great cloak for the latest coronation. She'll need a new assistant to complete her working time, and one appears, the Eighth Doctor. Determined to show Arla the truth of Peladon, the delicate threads he's drawing together will change Peladon forever. And it's a fantastic story, with a great cast, not just Paul McGann, but Arla de Canto is played by the magnificent Mira Sayal, and Chancellor Barok is brought to life by the spectacular Jason Watkins, and of course, the wonderful Nicholas Briggs is there as Silas. I really like that as a name for a nice warrior, Silas. Normal name, but with an extra S to make it more sibilant. And a story I really enjoyed when it was released, and I've listened to it, I think, three or four times now since release. Plenty to enjoy in there. So if you've not heard it, I hugely recommend it. So, why don't we hear from the writer of this adventure? Hello, my name is Tim Foley, and I'm the writer of The Truth of Peladon. Hello, Tim. Welcome to Pieces of Eight. Thanks very much for having me. This is one of those strange ones where we've been in touch for God, the best part of must be five, six, seven years, and we've never actually spoken properly in person, which is quite bizarre. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've always, I'm always delighted when an email of yours lands in my inbox and oh, asks me you. questions. It's, I, I prefer them when I get the questions and I've written it fairly recently because sometimes, you know, these things take a while to come out and I have to really sort of scratch my brains and try and recall <laughs> what I was thinking when I was writing certain stories. But uh, yeah. So this is thankfully a recent one, but let's wind the clock back a wee bit. When do you first recall becoming aware of the Eighth Doctor? Ooh, that's a good question. I think, now let's think, I was, I became like a Doctor Who fan in say... It must have been around 98, 99. So he was always there in my consciousness of doctors who had been before, I think. It must have been on, you know, maybe those VHSs, those adverts where they just do everyone as a compilation. So I saw him as no different to the previous seven. It definitely took me a while to see the movie, though, because I was quite young. And I remember my uncle had a video copy of it, but it was rated at 12, wasn't it? So he was like, not for you, not yet. There's kissing in it. So I was like, ah. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, Paul McGann's always been, yeah, part of the fabric for Doctor Who for me. I think I really got to know him, though, through Big Finish. I think think I've spoken about this before on some of the CD extras, but I, since I am a child of the wilderness years, I guess, I, like, Big Finish was my Doctor Who. And that first series that Paul McGann did, I mean, Storm of Orion is one of those stories that I just return to over and over again. It's such a comfort blanket for me of a story. I love its expanse. I love its... You know, I love that it's a slow burn and with a really good payoff. I love the characters. Yeah, and so that's that sort of happy-go-lucky Eighth Doctor whizzing around the universe with Charlie. That's my Doctor Who. It's such a great start, isn't it? The fact there's that wonderful arc and the fact that it's actually going somewhere and the build-up to yeah. the grace. It's just, yeah, so exciting. I mean, I've said before, I was literally going to the letterbox first thing every day before I went to work, <laughs> waiting for the CD of the grace to come down, pre-download kids. 
it was just such an excitement. It was like, what happens next? What happens next? Thank you, Gary Russell. Yeah, it's. I mean, and you're so right that you, when you talk about it going somewhere, it's. It was the first time that I'd ever come across anything like a series arc before, and because you know that's not really in classic Doctor Who. I was always, I always loved it when you know returning monsters like Davros came back, and the continuity vaguely made sense from the previous story. But this with Charlie, this kind of emotional development of her, that was something that was new territory for me. So I really enjoyed that. So let's move forward to the truth of Peladon. What do you recall about getting the commission for it? Well, I recall I was very excited. It was an email that landed in my inbox from uh, Robert Valentine. He was like, do you want to be part of a Paladon box set? I couldn't reply quick enough. I said yes. (laughs) And I was asked to write a story for The Seventh Doctor. So I was like, oh, this is very exciting. I'll write a story for The Seventh Doctor. My first Big Finish audio that I'd done was... Sorry, my first big finish, Doctor Who. I'd done a lot of torturous, but my first Doctor Who was um, Doctor Who, The New Adventures, which with Chris and Roz. And I really enjoyed writing for The Seventh Doctor. And we were encouraged to write a story where he was very much in the background, being a very mysterious puppet master figure. So I thought, you know what? I'll do something similar for this Peladon story as well. It's quite a brilliant story. I mean, it's, um, as we'll hear shortly uh, from Barnaby Key, he described it through the powers of wibbly wobbly, timey wiminess. Barnaby is going to describe it as being a chamber piece. And of course, you are somebody who's got a lot of experience of writing plays. So was this a fairly natural fuel for you? Yes. I mean, this is definitely, um, I really enjoy limited casts, small locations, just getting diving into the nitty gritty of characters. And the good thing about Big Finish is, you know, you get to do all sorts of things. I've done sort of monologues with one person and I've done big epic sci-fi pew pew things and you really get to stretch yourself but yeah there is something about chamber piece is a good way of describing it they're just little pot boilers i think this if you've got a small cast that can bounce off each other with sort of fairly long scenes with each other i think the actors as well enjoy that kind of thing especially if there's they can follow the continuity of the stories they go along and recording it which sometimes with big finishes a little complicated with all the you know scheduling stuff so yeah i think i do prefer that kind of smaller scale did you go back and rewatch The Curse of Peladon and The Monster of Peladon just to get you in that mindset and just to picture everything? Absolutely, of course I did. I mean, any excuse to rewatch Classic Who when you're asked to write a big finish, I'm like, yes, I must take the entire day now to watch the John Pertwee serial and make notes. So yes, yeah, I did that. So how did this story develop from your point of view? Was Were you given a sort of a wee note from Rob as to what he wanted? And when did it become an Eighth Doctor story? So yes, he um, Rob said you, you're going to be the finale, and he was like, "You've got a lot of leeway with that." And pretty um, swiftly, I knew I wanted to write a like like we were just saying a sort of smaller scale finale because again, with big finished box sets, I've written the last story in a few box sets before, and there is a tendency to go big because that's fun, and I love that sort of bombasticness that you get to do. But with Peladon, I thought since we were already going to be sort of breaking the fabric of Peladon as a society, as a structure, thought it might be nice to really hone in on one individual. And I recalled a story that I wanted to make in a play a long time ago about Mussolini's tailor, a figure who tried to undermine Mussolini through his outfits. And I just remember thinking that was such a fascinating, you know, idea. I was going to make it into a play, some kind of like two-hander. But then this idea resurfaced when I was thinking about Peladon and the ruler of Peladon being undermined. So I thought, well, I'll focus on a tailor. 
it was maybe after the initial pitch that it stopped being a Seventh Doctor story because Celeste McCoy was, as we all know, trapped in a medieval village during lockdown. And Rob and David said to me, could this work with another Doctor? Should we change the story? How do you think about it working with the Eighth? And I thought about it and I was like, I actually think this will work a lot better with the Eighth because I see the Eighth as a kind of, you know, romantic dashing figure someone almost out of a fairy tale. And I kind of wanted this story to have like a fairy tale vibe to it of, you know, that that kind of darkness and retribution. And so, yeah, then we began to tailor it to uh, an Eighth Doctor story. Was that pun intended? Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> oh God, there were so many puns. The, before we settled on the title of, you know, Truth of Peladon, Death of Peladon, all that, I wanted to call it Fit to Rule because I was like, oh, that's got multiple meanings. Ha ha ha. I like that. I mean, I think the current title's a lot better, but you know, I do love a good pun. Yeah, and I just think you created such wonderful characters there. Arla de Canto, just, uh, there's something so lyrical, I think, about Arla. It's got a very soft, gentle sound to it. And then de Canto, it just, it's got that slightly harsh, sort of like soft, soft and harsh at the same time. And then Chancellor Baroque, just absolutely following in the footsteps of his wonderful predecessors on TV. Yeah, I think um, it's it's funny you say about names because I spend ages on them. You, you really want them to sound good because, of course, you're writing for audio. And also I want them to be sort of easy to pronounce and easy to remember and tripping off the tongue. I, you know, I had lots of fun writing the characters, but I do, I do think most of the heavy lifting was done by the amazing cast that they got. I think that just took these characters to another level. I was re-listening to it for this podcast and the nuances that these actors are able to sort of to pick out like Jason's oh god his subtle menace in all his lines which you know so many of them have like underlying threats and he just nails it so wonderfully as you say the cast are fabulous and it's Mira Sile is just absolutely it's yeah. incredible that the, the, just the fact you've got the, she, you put her through an emotional ringer with the uh, with being with some persecution and and the joy, and then of course at the end, there's no easy happy ending for her as well. Yeah, I I like putting complicated characters centre stage. I think because we know on some level that the Doctor and his companions, they aren't going to you know necessarily die or, or or change too much. You know, the Doctor's always going to be this. Um, force for justice as it were so you get the emotional ranges from your guest characters and to put someone like Arla in the center who you know she's I think she's fairly likable to begin with and you know she she hasn't necessarily committed any obvious crimes it's just as the doctor points out it's her apathy that's been her undoing looking the other way and you know that's that's something that Mira Oh my gosh, those yeah, those final moments when she's um, you know talking in the rain—it's it's it's very effective, yeah. And you must have been delighted with the casting of Jason Watkins. And just think, oh. this is one of the big names of British TV. Obviously, Mira is as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely stunning. And because of his character, he's you know he's very shady. He's, he's very in the background, so he doesn't get that many scenes. Also, he doesn't get any scenes with the Doctor. And I, as soon as I heard the casting, I was like. I want to rewrite it all. I want it to be, you know, just Jason Watkins nonstop. But I think the restraint there with his character is what makes him so successful and so dark and so, oh, just, you know, you never, you, you don't know where you stand with him. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, just flabbergasted by the cast. And of course, we do have an ice water in there in Silas, which I just think, hey, I love the fact we've got pretty much a commando ice warrior going along so he can blow up the dish 
And the fact he's called Silas, it's just such a recognisable name, but obviously with a double S at the start. Brilliant. <laughs> yes. yes, I um, I didn't, when we were talking about Peladon, because we knew it's the last story and, you know, all its trappings had faded away. They, I knew I wouldn't have Alpha Centauri, but I really wanted to have a nice story because I thought that was, you know, something that does connect with Peladon. And plus, I just like writing for Nicholas Briggs and all his voices. Like, he is the man from, you know, my childhood in terms of the audios that I've been listening to. And he's written some of my favourite ones. So any chance I get to do a monster for him, I'm, I'm always keen for that. Did you get to sit in on the recording? I didn't. I recall this was a fairly, one of the fairly early lockdown ones. And we didn't have the bandwidth back then. I was, there was, you know, something or... Uh, so I, I couldn't listen in, but I'm always a bit rubbish at listening in anyway, because I just sort of sit there very nervously and I just love the actors so much. that I just sort of like sit there silently. Always I'm slightly useless in the studios as well. I just sort of sit there grinning and like a treasure cat. People try to talk to me and I just sort of like nod slowly. So probably for the best that I wasn't there. <laughs> it must have been quite an incredible experience when you did get to hear it, to finally hear your words being said by Paul McGann, pretty much the current doctor as you were growing up and particularly through Big Finish. Yeah, that was that was something. I do always struggle listening to my own stuff because I think I'm very self-critical in a way that I think lots of writers can be. So you listen to it and sometimes you can just hear the mistakes. So you can just hear like, oh, I want to do that line again. Oh, I should have made this character do this. But there is something so soothing, I think, about Paul McGann, his lyricism. It just feels very sort of like comforting and... And yeah, that, just listening to the whole cast, it, it is. I, I do think it's a very special audio there. Oh, I love it. It's a great box set and I think it's a fabulous conclusion. They've all got their own feels and they're all sort of got different styles. Some box sets end with big explosions. You look at things like Doom Coalition and Dark Eyes and more recently Ravenous. But here it's quite a contained character piece and I think that's what really made this for me we've had the build-ups we've had all the action stuff and while we do have action with Silas in his commando missions I think it's a wonderful wonderful way just to round it all up but at the same time you do think what happens next for Peladon yeah I think that's very true listening to the other stories as well like there's there's this lovely continuity through them where we just saw that see that slow decay and I do love how all the other writers have brought their own flair to it and I have to say, I, I didn't know about the sneaky cameo in episode one, which I won't spoil <laughs> if people uh, haven't heard, but that shook me. That took me by surprise. But it's so lovely seeing, yeah, Peladon in its sense of continuity and what it means to the Doctor through the story. And I, I guess I, we do leave it, him and it in quite a negative place at the end of Truth of Peladon. So if there is any continu you know, continuity, I hope it's one of hope. Because obviously it was written in a, you know, it was written during lockdown. It was written... We're in a sort of post-Brexit landscape. Things are quite negative at the moment. And definitely, I think that's gone into a lot of the truth of Peladon. But I think if there is any future stories of Peladon, I'd love to see some, you know, positivity, some rebuilding, some hope for the future, which will be tricky. But, you know, that I think that'd be really fun for the Doctor to navigate. Absolutely. And of course, you could be there. Who knows? Possibly. I'd love that. I'd love that. I do want to write for Paul McGann again. That's... Uh, that's definitely, you know, you sometimes you have an actor on your bucket list, you've done it and you think, great, I'm glad I did that, I can move on. I don't want to move on from Paul McGann, there's just too much beauty in that man. Let's <laughs> scribble for him some more. 
I completely get that because in my mind, part of me will always think of him as the current doctor due to the big finish stuff. And there's there's just always that element that is he is always now, if that makes yes. sense. I think that's true. And I think that's that's the wonderful thing about Big Finish that, you know, they've all got their eras and they're all existing in perpetuity in some ways. I think the things that they've done with the eighth doctor, if I was to try and time travel and tell my younger self that, you know, the likes of Livchenko would be rocking up or uh, Lucy Miller, like I just loved it. And I would think how on earth can they tell all these stories with this eighth doctor, but they've just gone on and on and, and they're never boring. They're like, they all do different things. And I mean, even, you know, fast forward to stranded of which I played a very tiny part, but they just get to have this, you know, God, influx of fresh energy and, and, you know, I hope we're just forever chopping and changing the stories that we tell with these people, with these doctors. Fabulous. Tim, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Thank you very much, Kenny. Of course, a script is just words on a page, or indeed screen, until they're brought to life. And the man who was responsible for directing The Truth of Peladon and casting it was its director, Barnaby Kay. And for those of you who don't know, Barney is the husband of a certain Nicola Walker. Yes, he is Mr. Levchenka. And he's a lovely, lovely man. I caught up with him quite recently when we were chatting about the upcoming Big Finish version of the Jerry Anderson series UFO for Vortex. That's the free magazine from Big Finish, which you can download at www.bigfinish.com forward slash vortex plug plug. But that's enough of the gratuitous mentions of my work. We had a really good chat about directing The Truth of Peladon and the fact that Paul McGann had kissed his wife. Whilst he was apparently dressed as the 8th Doctor in his Big Finish look when they were in Scotland shooting the crime drama Annika. If anybody from the Alibi channel who you make it is listening, please give it a second series because Paul and I have plans. So yes, please give it a second series. So now it's time to meet Barney. Hi, my name is Barnaby Kay and I directed Truth of Peladon, which is the um, fourth, yes. Yes, fourth episode <laughs> of the Peladon series that was released uh, last year. So thank you very much for coming on and having a wee chat with us on Pieces of Eight. Very welcome. I suppose first question to ask is, how long have you known Paul McGann and his work? I'm a massive, massive fan uh, of Paul McGann's. Uh, I mean, Widnell did it for me, Mm -hmm. which I saw when I was at college. And it was all very, you know, all the myths around it were were very vibrant then because (laughs) we were right near, right by where they were, where they lived, where the flat was. And we knew by reputation the people involved and who they were portraying. We'd met them and they'd come into college, you know, so it was very alive for us and for me. So I became aware of him obviously then. And that's a sort of annual watch. I haven't, I haven't treated my son to it yet, but I think he'll, with curled toes, he'll, he'll get through (laughs) it, I think. But so then really, and then it was years before I came across him and it was on big finish recording in Labrick Grove, something with him and Nicola, I think. I can't remember what it was now, Um, but that must have been 2000s, I would say. And then I was given this opportunity years later to have him in this in this wonderful Peloton episode, which I think is really unusual, you know, having this is my very first directing thing for for Big Finish Peloton. And it was just so exciting to 
to have this opportunity because they're quite big casts in the in the uh, previous ones to have this very this chamber piece to end on was really thrilling and I really wanted to find great people for Paul to work with and so as a bit and because it was my first Peloton was my first directing gig I sort of called my mates for the whole series yep. and so I, I you know I did ask Mira I didn't tell her but it was basically telling her you know I was basically giving her recording dates before she'd looked at the script so she was a shoo-in for the part perfect brilliant I knew that Paul would love to work with her uh, um, and would enjoy it and then Jason was the cherry on top Jason Watkins was the cherry on top and he was brilliant it, that was a text and he said yes straight away and uh, I, I didn't need to look at the script I just I think I described the character the power and poison of Peladon, camp cruel cunning and Jason went yep yeah, yep yeah, I'm in <laughs> so, um, so what a team you know what a great team and then having Briggs in there as well just to to really round it off so it, it was thrilling Paul was on really great form and the thing that I'd been really keen to to do through all the four episodes was to keep that Venusian lullaby going. I wanted that to be as if it had become an iconic sound because the Doctor used it, because Pertwee used it to calm the Agador, and the Agadors are so present in, the, in Peladon. So I wanted that Venusian lullaby to really to sort of run through all four Eps, despite them being sort of decades apart, and for it to change and shift as the episodes went by, which we achieved, and, I, and I'm delighted by it, and it sounds really great. But there was in the script was this moment where Paul says to one of the Agadors, "Oh, well, it's kind of comfort one of the Agadors who are sick," and he says, "Oh, no songs today, sorry, or oh, maybe just one," and then it cuts away. So we're left with that idea that maybe he, you know, that's what he sings, but we don't have to hear it. I really wanted him to sing it. And I said, it doesn't have, I warned him ahead of time, sent him the clip of John Pertwee doing it. Mm -hmm. I just said, I just want to hum because I've got humming all the way through all four episodes. So you just need to hum it. That would be brilliant. So we get to a moment where I managed to get rid of everybody else. It's me and him and the, and the engineer. And I said, let's do it. Let's just do it. Just hum it, whatever you want. He said, you don't want the words. I said, well, no, no, it honestly doesn't matter. It doesn't make it. It's just to hear you. We may only use the first phrase. It's fine. It's just to hear you go into it so we can just trail that into the music between the scenes of Sound Wilson, if you don't mind. He said, well, I've got the words. Well, I mean, if, whatever you want to do, do whatever you want to do. And then he sang it so beautifully. I mean, just awesome. Every word, absolutely, in the key. I said, I can give you the key. I've had, I had a piano. I'll give you the key. He went, oh, no, I've got the key. Oh, man. <laughs> Is there nothing you can't do? And then he just sang it so beautifully. And he was the second actor who'd surprised me like that. Moyo Candy had done the same thing mm -hmm. where I asked her. I needed a few voices to beef up uh, episode two. And she was in episode one. And I said, look, I'm going to need these voices do you mind doing it can you sing and she said oh i sing a bit i sing a bit. she's she's a contemporary she's uh she's not contemporary she she's a glaswegian living in london uh -huh. so she very she actually said begged to use her own accent because <laughs> she just thought i can't do a whole episode of chatting on and not being a glaswegian woman <laughs> so i asked her to sing and she said she sings a bit and then out came this operatic voice 
and you wow. just go, oh. And Paul, it was the same reaction I had with Paul. It was so perfect and beautiful and so backed up my desire for that sound to run through those four episodes. So put the cherry on top that I, that, that it, no, it was just magic. It was magic. Yeah. Paul had always said that he thinks he's a better singer than he is an actor. Yeah, as an actor, right. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, he's not, but he's a very, very good singer. So we reaped that reward and uh, it sits beautifully in the episode and, and it's sort of unexpected, I think, and, and just gorgeous. So, uh, so I was absolutely delighted. It was just thrilling to hear him and him and Mira. I, I sort of made most of the scenes between them in the, the seamstress's house. I, I, I made most of those continuous scenes. They were separated into little vignettes, but I made most of them continuous. So they were moving in the same sort of space which I hope helped them to sort of get a run at it and just feel each other. And, and I think the upshot of that is that you hear their relationship forming in sort of real time, rather than there being cuts and music breaks and time passing, which, you know, is, is something you need occasionally. But for them, I, you know, it just, they just walked, we just moved the sound through the, through the building as they went into cupboards and kitchens and stuff. And I, and I just think that really helped as a listener helped to, to solidify that relationship as she began to trust him and then respect him um, and all the rest of it. Really good. So I take it you went back and watched the Pertwee episodes for a bit oh, of yeah. research. Oh, totally. Yeah. Brilliant. And lovely. I know David Troughton and, and so lovely to see him. It must have been like his first job. He must have been 19, I guess, or something. 21 when he did that part. So young and, and skinny and gorgeous and it was lovely to lovely to see and again that having him back in was thrilling knowing that he'd totally agree and understand that I didn't want his character to have changed so he would still be naive a feather for every wind that blows you know completely malleable <laughs> and you know despite his sort of 60 years on the throne and of course he went for that I didn't even have to say it you know that you know he was childish and sweet and brilliant and then yanked out this incredible death speech, which we did one take of, and it was really a masterclass. And that's what set us up, you know. And to, so to start with David doing all of that, to go through all my brilliant friends, Deborah Finley and Sarah Powell and, and Remy Milner and Liz White and, you know, and, and Justin Salinger and all these people just coming in and being awesome. And then the payoff being this incredible episode with Paul that was thrilling to direct and listen to and, and not have to do not have to do much really just to you know call action and cut fab, <laughs> you know really fab what's your process when you get the script through is it a case of read through it first and then make notes or do you make notes as you go usually i get a pass at the episodes before they're finalized and very occasionally i'll have something to say that's just you know i'm not a you know, I, 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 I'm not in charge of the, of the whole sort of atmosphere of it. But occasionally I can just put forward an idea and if they want it, they want it. And if they don't, they don't. And that's absolutely, you know, it's absolutely completely up to them. And so, but usually it's very small sort of things because as I read through, I get sense of the voice. I cast quite quickly in my mind. So when I've got, when I know I've got mirror in my head, there are lines that aren't going to quite work, you know, or that she'll do better slightly differently so i might swap things about a little bit when i've got an idea of casting but then once the script is finalized it's just preparation and loads of it and that is really getting down into the script finding all the moments making sure there's no moment that i don't know what's going on because always when you know you've got busy busy actors 
all the good ones, which are the ones, certainly the ones I work with, work at it. So they are, they've read it, they've digested it, they've had thoughts about it, and they come prepared. Makes my life a lot easier. But then sometimes there are people that are just too busy to do that. And, you know, they'll give it their absolute best shot and are very open for notes. But I need to know, if we're, if we're recording out of sync, I need to be able to tell them exactly where they come from and exactly where they're going. And so I've got to be the most knowledgeable person in the recording session. And so that takes a lot of work and a lot of, you know, a lot of, well, my, uh, the scripts that I, I have, my scripts on an iPad and I have a pen, an Apple pen that I can scratch notes on, um, which is really handy, but it is just a spider web of red marks that is, uh, I can't make sense of it. And no one else, it's like a crazy code. It's like it's been redacted is what it's like. It's like I've cut it all because there's lines under everything. There's initials next to things and asterisks is going all the way through, arrows everywhere, down through pages and pages. It's absolute nonsense. But it's, you know, that's it's part of the hard work. It's part of the getting it into my head and having, you know, thoughts about tone and, and the simple things, whether we're outside, inside, you know, running, breathless. You know, you've mm -hmm. got to keep a... You know, you might be cutting away, you might record one scene and then not record the following scene in story. You might not record until the afternoon. So you've got to get, you know, you've got to make sure you've got everyone up to the same speed by the time you uh, record the next scene. So it's a lot of, a, a lot, a lot of work, but, you know, hugely rewarding when you hear it being done so well. And it must be really exciting when you get to hear things come together from Howard Carter doing the music and sound design yeah. and just oh, to be able to think God. the things that yeah. man can do are amazing. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Howard's so good at absorbing things like the, us working together on the theme for Peloton and the, that lullaby. He's so open to that. I've just done something with him where I said, he said, have you got any thoughts about the theme? And I said, Icelandic. And he's gone, righto. And he just go, okay, what's he going to come back with? But he totally got it. And he came back with this choral, extraordinary choral theme not like anything i'd ever heard yeah and you go awesome thank you and jack townley too i've been working with on other things like the um, unbound series you know jack townley yeah. does, he's done the, the um sound design yeah it's shortcuts it's i can say this all goes a bit godzilla here <laughs> and he'll go bosh and i get it back and it's just huge and epic and cinematic and you go yeah there you go exactly yeah huge so, I mean, it was a sort of, I, I suppose David gave me a real dream team with Howard. And, you know, I, I was, because it was my first gig and he was there, you know, David himself, Richardson was there yeah. constantly. But I found that once I was going, it's very nerve wracking. The recording days are very nerve wracking because yeah. we have to work fast. We have to be really, really quick. And the nerve wracking thing is that you get to lunchtime and you haven't recorded what you needed to record in the morning. I still get really nervous about it but it's never not been okay. We had one morning where the internet broke oh, entirely. No. So nothing was happening. Mm -hmm. Clean feed couldn't record. So Jack couldn't do anything. Jack basically rebooted the internet, rewrote clean feed and got us back <laughs> going again within two hours. But was that mean that the day we meant to start at 10, we started at 12-ish. We've got to break at one for lunch. Everyone's still there because they're standing by. Mm -hmm. So we've suddenly lost two hours. That's an enormous amount of scenes. Yeah. Gone. And so all you can do is take a deep breath and crack on. Because also, you knew, 
you've got to get it right. You can't compromise. You can't yeah. go, oh, that was nearly good. It's always got to be really good. And so, but somehow we finished. And so I haven't had, and this is touching wood furiously, haven't had a recording day that's gone completely haywire. So, you know, it's nerve wracking. But once you're into it, and once the actors are engaged and really going for it and asking questions and being part of the story, you know, it just is a thrilling experience to listen to. And then sometimes it's very hard to know what to say because you can't always just say, great, next, you know, <laughs> moving on. Because that's really dull, you know, and you could, but I haven't got any notes. What am I meant to say? I haven't got any notes. You've got Mira Sayal and Paul McGann. I haven't got any notes. And the yeah. only other person coming in is Jason Watkins. I don't have any notes. And then Nick Briggs, and you go, well, I, you're all brilliant. Great. Let's go home, you know. So because there is such a small cast yeah. in this one, it was thr really thrilling to direct because it, you know, we, we, you know, it was a very, very short recording day because there are so few voices, so few people, you know, identing there and saving their files. So everything just, you know, ran quick and sounded awesome. And there was no, you know, it was just really thrilling to, to listen to, to, to be part of at all. Yeah. I've just remembered that the first thing you worked with Paul on was a life in the day in Dark Eyes There you go. There was that one. There you go. Exactly that. With Nicky yeah. Walker. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened yeah. to her? I don't know. I don't know. She used to be good. <laughs> um, oh I heard she went to Scotland and uh, hung out with she Paul McGann. She went to Scotland and hung out with Paul McGann. Yeah, yeah, totally. I know. I think, did I say that to him? I must have done. <laughs> I can't remember how the time works out, but it's certainly at some point. Yeah, that's been. Him, you've been, you've traveled on a train to Scotland and kissed my wife. And I haven't <laughs> because of <laughs> COVID lockdown regulations. So if you could explain that to me. <laughs> so that was very funny yes fingers crossed for another series of that please oh um, it was tremendous yeah it's great and and paul would i'm sure paul would do it oh he said yes when i saw him a few weeks ago he said he would love to do some more so yeah but, yeah but yeah. the really bizarre thing was that um when we were chatting a few weeks ago i went to the theater that night to see john colshaw in a play yeah. and the theater down in greenock the beacon arts center that was actually the building that was the police station. It was just a, oh, weird. what is going yeah. on here? It was Reality just, clash. It, yeah. was, it was so bizarre. And inside had been transformed into the police station in the, the big studio. Yeah. And so it was quite a quite an uncanny experience for somebody. I, I love that studio. Kate, I love Kate Dickey's office with that huge glass door window. Yes. So you can shoot those amazing silhouettes of Kate Dickey and, and Nicola standing chatting. Just yeah. awesome. I mean, it's, the venues are so cool. Aren't they? The venues are just so... The views and vistas are, are such stars in the show, I think. Yeah, oh, it's, but that's Scotland for you. <laughs> yeah, that's Scotland, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, Barnaby, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for your time and coming on Great and having pleasure. a chat. No, an absolute pleasure, anytime. Our grateful thanks to Tim and Barney for their time. And it's been fascinating to hear them talk about this story. And it's pretty clear that they both had a ball on it. And that, dear listeners, is a wrap for another week. Next week, we're going to be celebrating an anniversary, as on June the 2nd, it's 25 years to the day since the BBC started publishing original Doctor Who novels for themselves, and we're going to be commemorating the launch of the 8th Doctor Adventures with a special feature-length edition, including interviews with two people who've never spoken about their Doctor Who work before. And even better, 
we'll be with you a day earlier than normal, with the podcast set to drop on Thursday rather than Friday, the actual 25th anniversary itself. So, until next week, I've been Kenny Smith, and if you're listening, Becca, well, we know you will be. We're sending you all the love, and we hope you're back with us next week. And to finish off today, we're not actually going to do our usual thing of setting the TARDIS controls. We've actually got a song, and it's sung by Paul McGann. And it goes something like this. Oh,